This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yep. it's your birthday. I know. You're turning 43 years old today, which means, John, you're in your prime. <laughs> and you will be several more times, I think, between on average seven and nine more times you will be in your prime. But enjoy it. This year, yeah, because you won't be in your prime for another, I think, uh, until you're 47. Right. So enjoy while you can. I have always wanted to live to a prime number age, Mm -hmm. but I just want to state for the record that I don't find either 43 or 47 acceptable. (laughs) All right. I was thinking more along the lines of an 87 is that prime? I don't think it is. A 91, is that prime? Uh, I think 91 is prime. 91 smells prime to me when I give it a neither sniff. Neither 91 nor 87 are prime. Oh, I just gave 91 a big sniff and it came up prime. That's weird. <laughs> okay. What about... Give me, an, give me another one. What about 93 is not prime? 97? I don't want to live to be 97. What about 87? Close. A little older than that. 89? Yeah. Is that a good one? Oh, that's perfect. Okay, <laughs> we've decided. Oh, yeah. That's where I, I mean, that's that's where this rocket ship is aiming. That, <laughs> I get to see Halley's Comet for a second time, which oh. is one of my great life ambitions. Uh-huh. And I would get to die before I'm 100, which is one of my other great life ambitions. And you get to die on a prime. And then you can sit, is there a, a thing you want to say? Do you have uh, your last words planned out? You seem like the kind of guy who would. No, I I feel like they're always better when they're spur of the moment. Like the Mm -hmm. writer Paul Claudel, who said to his physician doctor, do you think it was the sausage? I think those are about the ideal 
last words. Well, John, one of my favorite, this isn't last words technically, but it was on on Max Schultz's deathbed. Um, He's a biologist. And he said, all the important questions had now been settled. All of them, that is, except the eel question, which brings me to the first question of this. I love this so much. Wait, whoa, whoa. Yeah? Before we get to the question, did he actually say that or did you just make that up? No, that's for real. He really said all of them except for the eel question, but he didn't. Do we know what the eel question is? Oh, we know exactly what the eel question is, John. And Bethany asked it. Oh, what's the eel question? This question is from Bethany, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I just watched uh, the TED Ed video called No One Can Figure Out How Eels Have Sex and discovered that scientists literally don't know how eels reproduce. Is this true? If so, how do you think little baby eels come into being? Do they just appear? (laughs) Dubious advice appreciated. Birds and bees and eels, Bethany. John, this isn't just a question that we have about eels. It's a question that we've had about eels for millennia. Wow. Eels are very confusing. Now, Bethany has a little bit overstated the case, and a lot of people overstate the case when it comes to the eel question that we don't know where baby eels come from or how they reproduce. We've got, and oftentimes you'll hear it said that like we cut open eels and there are no gonads. So there's like no reproductive systems. So how do eels even happen? Uh, but John, before we get into that, how do how do you think baby eels happen? Or if if you are just going to assume scientists don't know. Put together your your best your best worldview into into how you think this should occur. Yeah, I would think it would be sort of like um, near the tail to near the tail kind of action, you know, like a, <laughs> a conflagration, and then mm-hmm. mm, I don't know, forty short weeks later, <laughs> you get a one baby eel. Yeah, they come out one. At, they come out one at a time. I assume that's how it happens. Um, is that wrong or is that right? That's well, we're not entirely sure. Uh, we've Aha, never... <laughs> it could be right. <laughs> so so, so the thing that, that we have gotten to the point of is that now we do know that sometimes eels do have gonads. <laughs> only sometimes. Only sometimes. In fact, Sigmund Freud nearly had his entire career like waylaid into eel gonads because one of his his first paper that he published was about eel reproduction and that could have been his life because it certainly could have been because there there was plenty to learn and was learned during his lifetime and we are still learning so he could have done that instead but instead Sigmund Freud became a, a fairly influential psychologist I think that rather understates the matter but yes <laughs> so let me tell you about the life cycle of the eel they start out as a larva so we're just going to like say egg okay. and ignore the chicken at this so point so they don't come out they don't come out like regular baby eels. They come out like tadpoles. Yeah. Well, not only that, John, they start out, they basically turn from tadpoles into a different kind of tadpole, into a different kind of tadpole, into a different kind of tadpole until they become the eel. And for a very long time, we thought all of those different things were different species of eel. Oh, wow. So there's the glass eel or elver, and that uh, oftentimes is in freshwater and uh, moves up coasts. Then it becomes the yellow-brown eel. They like to live in ponds, and they can hibernate in mud and live for a pretty long time in that stage. And then they become the silver eel, and that goes back out to sea. And at that point, the eel's stomach dissolves, and so it is no longer capable of eating, and its reproductive organs then develop. And then 
they do something somewhere to make baby eels. But that last part, we don't actually know about. We figured out the, the like the whole eel life cycle a pretty long time ago, but we don't know where they breed and we've never been able to get them to breed in captivity. So we don't know what it looks like. That is wild. I can't believe I never knew this. Is the eel question. It's really big on TikTok right now. Is it? Yeah. Or are you kidding? I can never tell. I can never tell with TikTok. Yeah. I mean, I think that it might be really big in the part of TikTok where I am. But I get the feeling that that might not be the most mainstream TikTok place. Yeah. So the other day I was trying to show my kids TikTok and how great it is and how TikTok is just a collection of people in their 40s talking about the problems of people in their 40s. (laughs) And and so I downloaded TikTok onto a new device and it was like, do you want to sign in? And I was like, not really. And uh, wow, <laughs> that TikTok bore no resemblance mm-hmm. to the TikTok. I'd, there were all these like wildly famous TikTok celebrities like driving Lamborghinis. And I was yeah. like, what? I thought it I thought it was just a bunch of like moms and dads talking about the joys and complexities of parenting. I love parenting TikTok. It's surprisingly good. I've seen some really like actually legitimately useful advice. But also funny. I have also seen some legitimately useful advice. The main thing that I've seen is people... Oh, um, Hank, I just want to state for the record that since we started the eel question, mm-hmm. I solved a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been listening. I can almost... So oh what I'm trying God. to learn to do is I'm trying to learn to solve a Rubik's Cube blindfolded, like to look at the Rubik's Cube before I start and think about the... Mm-hmm. I'm not very quick, so I have to do like 80 different moves to solve it. Um, think about the 80 moves I have to do and if I can do all of them. And I mm-hmm. almost I almost just did it blindfolded. I looked down like, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 times. <laughs> but I did. I solved a Rubik's Cube. I, I don't want to brag, but I'm getting so good at solving a Rubik's Cube that I can do it now in like under two minutes and 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. But I, I watched a documentary called The Speed Cubers on Netflix. Yep. And those they can do it in five seconds or four seconds. Yeah. It's not fair. Yeah. I mean, this is my ASMR. I just listened to this all day. <laughs> oh, God, John. Uh, well, I know what to get you for your birthday. No, I actually already I already bought the like most expensive, nerdiest speed cube or speed cube, and I can only do it in two minutes and 30 <laughs> seconds. So, all right, Hank, let's keep it going with the biology questions. I'm excited to find out the answer to this question. Maybe it's that we also don't know. This question comes from Anonymous who, I don't know why they felt like they couldn't put their name on this question, but they didn't. (laughs) Hey, so there are green feathers and there are green scales, and why no green fur? Why no rabbits turning green to blend in with green grass? That's a great question. Why don't rabbits turn green to blend in with green grass? Why we Deboki and I did so much research on this question. (laughs) We spent it in... A, a, a truly embarrassing amount of time, and uh, we there's there. I mean, how much do you want to know, John? I just how deep do you want to go? Uh, I mean, third grade level. Okay, give me the. Uh, I'm nine. Yeah, I have a vocabulary of twelve hundred words, <laughs> and I spend most okay. of my time thinking about Pokemon. Right, lay it on me. Okay, so there are two really important parts of evolution. That Like, if you're going to evolve a new trait, two things need to be true. One, that trait has to be advantageous or at least not disadvantageous. And two, it has to be uh, possible with existing mechanisms and existing genes. Like, for example, there are some lizards that are green and they have used a pigment 
um, that is produced by us. Um, it's not, a, and it, it serves a purpose in the, in like the digestive system. It's like a bile, uh, thing. It's like a bile. Like, oh yeah. I've, I've, bar- I've barfed it. I know what it is. Yeah. So it's, and so it's green and they use that, uh, as, as a green pigment and they've evolved it to be more green and to tolerate having more of it in their bodies so that they can be green and also be potentially maybe toxic, uh, which they are. So like there, there was a way to get to green. Now, it, it probably isn't that there is no advantage. Like it may, like there, there's probably some, there could be situations in which there would be a slight advantage to having green fur. But I would it, say more than slight. If you're a rabbit, having green fur yeah. would be an absolute game changer. And so it seems like- But maybe brown fur is better. Maybe brown fur is a little bit better. Yeah, because so there are also situations where brown is good. Really, yeah. most of the ground is brown most of the time. Mm-hmm. If you live in a place that isn't like Florida, yeah. there's a lot of brown, especially in winter when other predators are hungry. Yeah. So maybe you want to be brown. So, But it, it seems like it's probably more of the second thing where it's mm. it's just difficult to evolve pigments that will turn you green. So we have yellow pigments. So those exist. But the, the thing that makes blue happen usually in nature is something that is specific. It's not really a pigment, it's structural. And so it re- relies on really a really regular structure to create basically ways for light to bounce around that allows it to look blue. And this is what happens in some skin of mammals. So there's some monkeys that have blue areas of their skin, but this apparently can't happen easily with hair or maybe not at all with hair because hair isn't, there's like not enough of it for it to do the structural thing, for it to have the order necessary for the light to bounce around in the correct way for it to turn blue. Um, And you would need to evolve a separate blue pigment or, or a separate green pigment, which apparently just is very hard to have happen. So it was fascinating. I liked going down this rabbit hole, but but I don't know if anyone else cared. Well, I'll tell you what, I cared for the first half of the answer. I thought that was really interesting. And then I thought the second half of the answer was not appropriate for third graders. And I felt like you weren't taking seriously my genuine feeling that I have a third grade level understanding of evolutionary biology, and it's never going to get better. All right. So basically, just to sum all that up for those of us who followed, you know, some of it, (laughs) it ain't easy being green. Oh, wow. That's exactly correct. It genuinely ain't. It genuinely ain't. I also wish there could be green bunnies, though. Ah, you know, I feel fine. (laughs) When I think about, like, what's wrong with the world today, like, if I close my eyes and think, like, oh, what problems would I fix? The color of bunnies is... It's not in the top billion. (laughs) I agree with you, John. All right, Hank, this next question comes from Jared. I really enjoyed it. Jared writes, Dear John and Hank, today I had a checkup at the doctor and it turned out I needed a tetanus shot. Mm -hmm. The nurse and I were casually chatting and she asked me what was my favorite spot in town for breakfast and I started to tell her and then before I even knew it, the shot was over and she was putting a bandage on my arm. Now, I know when you're a little kid, nurses try to distract you so that you don't notice the shot and cry, but I'm in my early 20s now and I seriously didn't expect this practice to continue into my (laughs) older age. And in a weird way i feel almost lied to like how can i know our interaction was genuine if it was predicated by Mm -hmm. this goal of smooth vaccination Mm. was she really even curious in my pancake selection or was she trying to make me not notice the shot is there even a difference no there's no difference jared there's no difference what 
what is 99% of small talk that occurs in a doctor's office? It is intended to, like, make you feel comfortable yeah. and acknowledge that there are two people in the room. It is, in, like, when, when you're discussing the weather or your favorite breakfast spot, nobody's like, oh, God, I really need to find a new place in this town I've lived in for the last 57 years to eat pancakes. Well, I mean, or maybe... She has some connection to the restaurant lobby in town, and she's doing an informal <laughs> survey. And this is an this is an alternate means, maybe of uh, of of income generation. Maybe that sh it should be. This is a great. This is the chamber of commerce should pay nurses to ask questions about the commerce in town and let like see what people think. Do you think that there should be more soup sandwich or sandwich shops in town? Thick, and then just write that one down. They're doing a bunch of these every day anyway. I, I mean, needless to say, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fun. Like you have to. I don't keep, even think I need to explain why that's such a dumb idea. <laughs> you have to keep the medical stuff confidential, but not the sandwich opinions. I think, I think you do actually. <laughs> I think I think a HIPAA, the law in the United yeah. States protecting healthcare-related privacy, extends to a, how much Subway are you eating these days. <laughs> 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 When's the last time you went to Jimmy John's? Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't go to the doctor to have market research performed <laughs> on me. Jared, what's happening here is, I mean, first off, it might just be genuine curiosity, mm -hmm. but it's definitely genuine curiosity that is timed to yeah. minimize your suffering during the shot, which I would argue is like kind of one of the main points of healthcare, right? Like, yeah. healthcare exists to try to lessen overall human suffering yeah. and extend our health spans. And your nurse was doing a great job of that. Yeah, regardless, the question was for you. It was in service of you. Right. Uh, in, any, in any case. So you can rest assured knowing that, that the, the nurse was looking out for you, but also probably that they are curious. And the, like, if you, if you ask that question... 10,000 times, it doesn't actually make it less interesting. In some ways, it makes it more interesting. Yeah. Because you get this sort of like deeper, deeper understanding of the breakfast desires of your local community. Such a good point, Hank. John, what's your favorite breakfast spot in town? Oh, man, I really messed up solving this Rubik's Cube while you were talking. What? <laughs> I'm putting it away. I got to put it away. <laughs> I, had to roll, I had to roll it away so far from the microphone that I can't get to it. <laughs> What was the question? What's my favorite breakfast spot? Yeah. Hank, I haven't left the house in five months. <laughs> my my favorite breakfast spot is the kitchen. And then I guess my second favorite breakfast spot is in front of the TV. <laughs> What's your favorite breakfast spot? There is actually a place nin called Ninja Mike's that has a, a walk-up window that I go to fairly mm. frequently. And bef even before this, it was one of my favorite breakfast spots. And now it is the only one. This next question comes from Owen, who asks, Dear Hank and John... I've been hearing a lot about what people think is their right to do or not to do something. Nowhere is it written that it's a right to not wear a mask. Uh, where do rights come from? Best wishes, Owen. This is a great where question. Where do rights come from? This is a great... This is a big... That seems... You could write a crash course about this. And we have a, a bunch of them. And it is a big question. So... In the United States, at least, if you go to the Declaration of Independence, one of our founding documents, you will read the following very interesting sentence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. So we don't need evidence for these truths because they are evidence of them themselves, I guess, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. So... 
Where do rights come from in the Declaration of Independence? They come from the self-evident fact that all people are created equal and that all people are endowed by their creator with certain rights. So the rights come from God. Yeah. And that is for a long time how, at least in, in the Enlightenment, like that's where rights came from. Now, of course, one of the many ironies of the Declaration of Independence <laughs> is that it said all men, meaning all people, uh, have these unalienable rights that they have been endowed by their creator with. And then, of course, in the United States, right. not all people were treated equally. And in fact, like some people could be owned and sold as property and and women did not have any of, of these rights that, that were uh, ostensibly given to all of us by God and so on. Yes. But now we tend to think of those rights as not necessarily coming from God. Right. Like lots of people who are atheists also believe mm -hmm. in human rights. So my feeling is that like rights are, so obviously it's just an idea. And it's like the, the thing that like, the main thing that makes me feel like a thing is a right is that I have had it. Yeah. And that if it was taken away, it would be a big negative impact on my life. And like, yeah, and that's one of the things that's one of the things that makes the expansion of rights so challenging for mm -hmm. people who've been marginalized or who've been denied human rights is that the answer so often is, well, you just don't understand like what we mean by the right to, for instance, get married. Mm hmm. Like, we know that you shouldn't have that because you haven't had it. Right. <laughs> and we know that we should have it because we have had yep. it. Yep. So, and, and oftentimes, like, I think an important thing to note is that, like, rights get expanded. Like, sometimes more people get rights and sometimes rights get taken away. But sometimes in order to give, like, more rights to more people, you have to take some rights away from other people. Yeah. Like, that's not the case in, in marriage equality, obviously, but it was the case with slavery. Like, right. you had the right to own a person and then you didn't have that right anymore. Yeah. Which so was that, a positive development <laughs> in the story of human rights. But, yeah, right. And as for the question of whether or not people have a legal right to choose whether to wear masks, the answer to that question, it seems to me pretty obviously is no, mm -hmm. because we regulate potentially harmful behavior in all kinds of ways yeah. in public even, spaces and in like private commercial spaces, not just in terms of like you can't smoke inside of an airport, but also like you have to wear clothes. Yeah. Like that's what I mean. And, 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 and nakedness uh, doesn't even give anybody a disease. <laughs> so. like, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's actually not like, like harmful. It's it's kind yeah, of hard yeah. to make the case, especially eh. with like eh. I don't know. Like I'm 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 glad that people wear clothes in public. Call me old fashioned, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> but again, yeah. that is not the question. Mm -hmm. The question is if you have to cover your junk, should you also during yeah. a uh, novel disease pandemic that has led to an unprecedented level of, of suffering, at least within the last century, should you also have to cover your mouth? And the answer is yes. <laughs> We figured it out. You uh, do not have a right to not wear a mask. Uh, clearly, uh, for a number of different reasons, the main one being that the government can definitely require you to put things on your body. That's a great. That's a great way of putting it, Hank. <laughs> so, uh, unless you're in your own home, and then you don't have to wear a mask or any not. clothes. That's yeah. up to you. Yeah. I, yeah. You you do you until you're near me, and then you do us. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You did it, John. You solved. You solved it. 
You do you until you do until you're near me. Then you do us. And can we just in America? Can we just do us? <laughs> Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by us. <laughs> us. Us. It's like you, but me too. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by eel sex. Eel sex. Still one of the mysteries. And today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by Green Bunnies. Green Bunnies, not on my top trillion list of concerns. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Doctor's Office Market Research. Doctor's Office Market Research. <laughs> Such a it's, bad it's, idea. It's a new fad. A lot of people are going to go to prison. We also have a Project Frost awesome message from Emu from New Jersey to Hank and John. That's us, Hank. Hey. I'm one of the horde of nerdfighters who passively consumes your content, but there's a weird imbalance there. You both have so profoundly changed my life for the better. I feel this strong desire to thank you and to know that my expression of gratitude has found you and has mattered to you. So on behalf of Nerdfighteria, this personal message is for both of y'all for making us better people. Thank you. That wow. is very, very kind. It is very thank kind. you. Thank you. The gratitude goes both ways. Indeed. We feel really deeply grateful. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Yes. That uh, that you are on the other end of the line. John, I forgot to mention in the green fur question. Oh, God. So we're going how, how could we possibly go deeper? <laughs> it's just Devoki and I talked about this for so long that sloths do have green fur. This is a short fact, but they have green fur because they have a symbiotic relationship with the algae that live on their fur. So that's what I was going to ask. Like, it seems to me that there is a lot of green in the world. Mm -hmm. And why don't more furry organisms get some <laughs> of that sweet, sweet chlorophyll? Well, yeah, it turns out that chlorophyll is a uh, a good way of making an energy if you don't need to use a ton. Right. A animals just need more than... It's basically like the solar-powered car thing. It's like, why don't we make solar-powered cars? It's like, there's not enough space on a car to create enough energy to move a car. And that's the situation with animals. Like we we need to eat the stuff that spent a lot of time creating energy in order to to move our like big fast bodies around. And I don't think anybody ever looked at me and said, like, that guy's about to move his big fast body around. <laughs> but I see your point. You move a lot faster than a tree. Oh, I mean, 
depends on the tree. <laughs> take, take pride. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Elaine, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my name is Elaine, and I'm a nerd fighter from Peru. I turned 15 nearly one month ago, and my uncle asked what should he give me as a gift, and I told him I wanted a book that had just come out. He said that he expected me to say a phone or clothes, but that he would be happy to get me the book. <laughs> It has been three weeks. <laughs> Everyone is talking about how great this book is. I don't have evidence, Hank, that it's your second novel, A Beautifully <laughs> Foolish Endeavor, but I'm imagining that it is. Yeah. Everyone is talking about how great this book is, but I still don't have it. Should I go to a local store to buy it myself or should I wait for my uncle? Mm. My uncle lives 30 minutes away from me and lockdown is finally over in my city, if that helps any. <laughs> Sincerely, Elaine. <laughs> I've been in this situation before yeah. where you're like, I, mm -hmm. I've i had experiences like this before where somebody asks you what you want, mm -hmm. you tell them, mm -hmm. and then you feel obligated not to get the thing that you want yes. because you're waiting for them to give it to you. Yes. And they have they forgotten? Yes. But you can't like call them and be like, hey, did you forget about that gift that you promised to give me? Because that's rude. But you also like want to read the book. This is a problem I have in general with, with gift giving these days is I feel like I'm at a point in my life where it's very difficult for me to want something that I don't already know I want. Right, like right. The best gifts are when you're surprised. You're like, I do want that, but I didn't know it yeah. existed. Yeah, although that isn't, for the record, Elaine's exact no. problem because she knows exactly what she wants <laughs> and she asked for it. And it is both like less expensive and cooler than the phone or clothes that were on offer. Yep. And yet, somehow, it still has not mm -hmm. arrived. Mm -hmm. And this, Elaine, is why from now on, not with everyone, but certainly with this uncle, you ask for money. <laughs> or a phone! <laughs> no, you just, you just say, you know what, uncle? I want a book, but I remember last year. <laughs> and so what I would really like mm -hmm. is money with which to buy a book. Boom. But I think you just go ahead and get the book now, you, Elaine. I, yeah, and if I mean, you end up with two copies of the book, you give one of them away. Yeah, I think that might be what you do. All right, John, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, here's a question from Jojo who asks, Dear Hank and John, does our solar system have a name? During my extra time in quarantine, I've been doing some preliminary Googling about solar systems, and our solar system only seems to be referred as our solar system or the solar system. If it does have a name, what is it? And if it doesn't, why not? There are many solar systems beyond our own, so it would help to differentiate ours if it had a specific name, right? Wishing you good mojo, Jojo. John. It's a great name specific sign off. It is. But our solar system has a name. It does have a name. It's called the solar system. That is correct. Do you know because what? Because it is the system <laughs> that is around soul. Yeah. Or the sun, if you will. Right. The, so uh, so the, our sun has a name, our star yeah. that, our, that our planet revolves around. Yeah. That star is called soul. Right. And the system around it is called the solar system. Yeah. And so like around... Another star, if you're like around Alpha Centauri, that would be the Alpha Centauri system. Right. Unfortunately, it would not be the Alpha Centauri all system. Or yeah, our, our but Alpha the problem with this is that people often refer to yeah. Alpha Centauri's solar system. Yes. And, and that this, is not a solar system. But No. But scientists do this all the time. But also... Again, if we are going to rank the problems, <laughs> right. it is somewhere below green bunnies. <laughs> there will come a time when this will be important and we'll have to. So I think this is, this is like a chance to look 
at a thing that we're doing right now that's going to cause a problem for us in the future, but it doesn't create enough of a problem for us right now. And that will allow okay. us to have I, sympathy for the people in the past who created problems for us that we're dealing with now. Sort of, except that I don't actually think it's going to be a problem in the future. Just as in 1986, everyone was saying, you can't say ATM machine because ATM stands for automatic teller machine. And you're saying automatic teller machine machine. And you know what the solution to that was? Uh huh. Nobody cares. <laughs> Everything's fine. I I posit that at some point in the future it will be a problem if we keep calling all these solar systems solar systems because maybe we will be visiting them and we can't call them solar systems anymore. I'm not saying it's yeah we can happen. we can say Alpha Centauri's solar system. We visited it. It was great. But it then was what's a good ours called? System. Not as good as our solar system, but a good one. No, that because so either we have to do one of two things. We either have to name our solar system something else and keep all of the other solar systems called solar system. Or we keep ours named solar system and we call the other ones something else. And that is what we have chosen to do already. We call them planetary systems. That is the technical term for a solar system. Just nobody uses it. Okay, we're moving on. Felicia <laughs> wrote Hank to say, Dear John and Hank, recently John has been talking about how Liverpool just won the league for the first time in 30 years or whatever. Yeah. But didn't that happen last year? At least I distinctly remember John talking on the podcast about Liverpool winning and how he cried with a bunch of strangers in a bar or something. I believe it was in several episodes, actually. I'd be thankful for some clarification. <laughs> John, I'm also confused. So this is something Sarah's pointed out to me many times when I'll be like watching a soccer game and crying and I'll tell her like, you know, this hasn't happened in 50 years. And she'll be like, you know, every week something happens that hasn't happened in 50 years. Liverpool won the English Premier League for the first time in 30 years this year. Mm -hmm. Last year, mm -hmm. Liverpool won the Champions League, which is a different competition in which all the best teams from Europe play against each other. So English teams play German and Russian and Spanish and Italian and Irish and Hungarian teams. Mm -hmm. Not Irish, okay. actually, but you get the picture. <laughs> Okay, it's so true. that wasn't a, even a really a league. It's not a league. It, it was more, but it is a competition. So, so like in the United States, most sports teams play in only one competition. Like if you're an NFL team, you only play in the NFL season. But in soccer in the United States and elsewhere, teams play in multiple competitions at the same time or in the same season. Mm. So that's why last year I was celebrating winning one trophy and this year I'm celebrating winning a different trophy. D d <laughs> Is it common for Liverpool to win as we have won in the last two years? Four major trophies? <laughs> no, it is not common, but still feels good. Maybe it's about to be common. Yeah, it's good. Still feels good. I am sorry for that confusion. And on that front, uh -huh. Hank, yes. AFC Wimbledon also play in multiple competitions. They play in the FA Cup, a knockout competition with all the other teams uh -huh. in England. Uh, they also play, of course, in League One, the third tier of English football. And in League One and in the FA Cup, we're going to have basically a whole new team. It's very exciting. Hank, I've already introduced <laughs> you to Ollie, uh -huh. our gigantic new striker. Yep, the small bottom big. Very, very, very big. Very small bottom. <laughs> so last year, we had a really good player from Finland named Marcus Fors. Uh, and we liked that so much that we've decided to sign a new uh, player from Finland named Jako. His name is Jako? Jako. Okay. J-A-A-K, uh -huh. wait for it, 
K O. Wow. Double K. Okay. Two Ks. Can't have enough Ks. We've also signed uh, a guy named Ethan Chislett from the fifth tier of English uh, football. Uh So that's exciting. But the most exciting thing that happened this week, Hank, involved one of Wimbledon's youth players who is coming up to the senior team. Hmm. We have a a 17-year-old kid named Troy Chiambi who has scored four goals in our last two preseason games. Now, Hmm. both of these games have been against lower league opponents, but nonetheless, four goals, and he's 17. He is like... I watched a video of him. He went to like AFC Wimbledon summer camp mm-hmm. and he was the he was the like team cook. And I watched a video of him talking about um, cooking his spaghetti bolognese <laughs> and you could feel the confidence dripping off of this guy. I mean, you could feel this is a guy who believes in his spaghetti yep. and believes in his ability to take the Dons to the promised land. And I I'm all in on this kid. We've we've done it before where we take homegrown players and uh, bring them into the senior team, players like Will Nightingale. And I think that Troy could be the newest AFC Wimbledon superstar. I'm watching a video of Troy Chiabi scoring a goal, uh, but it's from the farthest away that they could get the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a pretty low quality videography of the preseason games for sure. <laughs> uh, but I believe you and I'm excited. And uh, do you, who, who's, whose name do I remember from the current AFC Wimbledon team? Do you still have Joe Pickett? We still have Joe Pickett. Okay. Yep. We still have Joe Pickett. We still have Will Nightingale. We still have Toby Civic. We have more players from last season than we usually have. <laughs> and most of the players who moved on were, mm-hmm. I would say, either peripheral or beginning to become less popular with the fans. Yep. It's going to be really difficult this year because the budget is has been completely, I think this is the case for a lot of League One teams, the budget has been completely upended by COVID. A huge percentage of these teams' budgets come from Mm in-person season tickets. And so it's going to be hard, but, you know, we're going to do our best. Yep. How's Mars? Mars is good, John. And uh, the Perseverance rover is on its way and is doing some important work on its way. For example, it's charging up the batteries of its helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a oh, really great sentence. It's using it's using solar power. So there are six batteries on board the Ingenuity helicopter, and that will be hopefully the very first helicopter to ever fly on another planet when it reaches Mars. Uh, it's currently lying on the belly of the rover in interplanetary space. And on August 7th, NASA used uh, charge from the rover's power supply to charge the helicopter for the first time. It took eight hours to get it to 35%, which is its optimal charge for keeping battery health. The fact that they could charge the battery is very good uh, and important for establishing that everything's gone okay with the launch. So power supplies are working both on the rover and the helicopter. And once it arrives on Mars, it will be deployed on some test flights and subsequently it will be charged using a solar panel rather than the rover's onboard batteries. Cool. So that happened in space, in the middle of space. That's, I mean, that is pretty mind-blowing. How long is it going to take to get the helicopter to Mars uh, let me and the rest of the rover? Yeah. Can anything go wrong? Is there anything that I should be worrying about, Hank? 
during this journey? Uh, so it will be landing on February 18th, 2021. Okay. A few more months. Can things go wrong? Yes. All right. So things that can go wrong. There's not like any big, big like moments when things are more likely to go wrong. Like there are course corrections and there are times when different like things turn on or there's different ways of communicating with it. But um, but for the most part, the the thing that you're going to want to be really nervous about happens on February 18th, 2021. Oh, believe me, I'll be suitably nervous come February. Yeah. I'm just wondering if I need to have a background worry. Yeah. It'd be great if I didn't because I actually, I, I don't know, this is going to surprise you, but I already have some. <laughs> Yeah. So if I di- if I don't need to have a background worry about the Perseverance rover, then I then I won't. Right. Yes. I think you should just concentrate on the Rubik's cube and all and all the other billion things that are more important than green bunnies. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks to everybody for sending in their questions. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We love your questions. Thank you for sending them. We're off to record our patron only podcast. Uh, you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. It's where we talk about stuff, ideally stuff that's making us feel not terrible right now. So I'm sure that this episode will be all about the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Rosiana Hals, Rojas, and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Joseph Tunamedish. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.